Greetings, lovers of children, young and old. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett, and I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy, coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And today on the podcast, I first wanted to talk about two things that two different friends of mine sent to me and thank you to both of them that would be uh, ryan and elizabeth ryan sent me a episode of the podcast the hidden brain about the placebo effect that talked about how people have begun to study the placebo effect and have even studied it in, with surgery and found that a placebo surgery so no surgery at all you just think you had surgery where there's a possibility that you had surgery, uh, at least for knee surgery, and this one in particular, uh, had similar results to actually having the operation performed. So it was a, it's a really fascinating listen in terms of just trying to get our heads around what exactly the placebo effect is and what is the power of the mind. Elizabeth sent me an article from Daphne Maurer, who has done some research around what baby's experience of the world is like and and believes through this research that when infants come into this world, all their senses are tied together and a little bit cross, meaning that she's hypothesizing that babies would see sound and hear colors or that when you're talking to a baby, that the words you are using when you're talking to that baby actually have a color to them which I think is really fascinating and an interesting thing to embody. And I think we can all actually think about that a little bit. When If you have been around a baby, I always feel more aware of my tone when I'm talking to a baby or when I'm talking to a child, for that matter, than with an adult, say. And I think that that's because I believe that babies are really, really sensitive to tone. We're always like singing to babies and be like, oh, look at you. But, and, there, and there's a color to that. That's, what, that's why we're doing that to begin with. At least, uh, I don't know, tying that together with this whole idea that babies are experiencing all their senses at one time. And then that gradually gets conditioned out of us as we age, according to her hypothesis. And all of that, of course, ties back to... A podcast I did a little ways back about how the brains of individuals on various hallucinogens are very similar to the brains of babies and younger children. But today on Playtime, I wanted to talk about the uniquely and beautifully bearable lightness of play and why play is such a beautiful and easy medium for connecting with deep unconscious material inside of children. And it is the very lightness of play that increases its capacity to hold material that would be difficult to approach otherwise. I mean, here is a scenario I've had happen in my playroom a wide, wide number of times. A child comes to see me for the first time, and My sessions are child-centered. In general, I don't lead them with anything when I've been seeing a child for a little while. But for that first session, I'll sometimes let them know, like, why they're here. This, This is what's been told to me about your life. And 
why you have come to be in this place. Now, if I'm working with a child who's like three, I'm not doing that. If a child comes in and it's just like, oh, cool, there are toys here. I'm going to start playing. That's what we're doing. I'm not like, hey, whoa, ease up on the play. Like, I've got to talk to you about something. If we're playing, we're playing. But if I'm seeing a child that's like seven and they come in and, you know, they're not totally sure what to do with themselves like they've reached an age where they're often kind of told what to do and what not to do and can and can listen to that they're a little they're more plugged into the adult world than a three-year-old is a three-year-old can walk into your playroom and just be like bam i'm hitting those toys right there a seven-year-old's gonna come in and be like well scoping the place out a little bit scoping you out a little bit perhaps maybe they'll just start playing but like that that's pretty that's rarer for me at least but so then a child could come in and I could say like, yeah, you're here because, you know, I, things at school are difficult that your teacher gets mad at you sometimes and then your parents get mad that your teacher got mad and then you're supposed to do something different, but it sounds like you're mad too or, you know, whatever, whatever it is and present that to them. And I'm not trying to say that people should do that, right? It's just what I'm doing at this point in time. And a lot of times those kids will then say, I don't want to talk about that. And maybe they've also been told because I think this gets told to children a lot that, yeah, like when you go to therapy, it's so that you can talk about stuff and you can talk about it with this person and you should maybe talk about these difficult things. And so then I mention those difficult things and their first response is like, boop, I don't want to talk about that. And then I'll, you know, reflect that back to them, some version of, yeah. And here you get to choose what happens. And you're saying that that's not something you want to choose to do. You don't want to talk about that. And then sometimes they'll dive into playing. A lot of times that play will, not all the time, but a lot of times can embody some of the conflict that they're experiencing inside of this thing, can embody the scenario in general. I've had kids line up in the dollhouse exactly what I just described to them as happening in their lives. And then here we are. We've approached it. Now, in my responses to that, I'm not going to try to point that out to them. They've identified that they don't want to talk about it. I can name what's happening in the dollhouse and not make it sound too much like their life. Because if they feel that I'm doing that, they could have some defenses come up. And we're here. And we're here. They're actually, they've approached the thing that the adults in their world want them to approach in therapy through having their boundary respected and not talking about that thing and going into play. Because nine times out of ten, when that child has been having a conversation about this thing maybe that they're, they're doing wrong, that the adults feel like they're doing wrong, and the adults like you're doing this thing wrong, maybe they're like, no, I'm not, da, 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 this isn't fair. And regardless of whether it's fair or not, or whether they were doing the thing or not, when that, when that boundary gets broken, if enough times adults in their world are saying to them, hey, you're doing this thing, Eventually, the child will get to a point of just like, oh, I'm bad. I'm just bad. I'm so bad. Like they, when it gets in, it hits them really hard. When a child is having a conversation about a thing and that thing involves something bad that they did, it's very overwhelming for them. They experience the world so much differently than we do. They experience the present moment in a way that we don't. And they take things in. Their boundaries aren't as formed. They just take things in so powerfully. And when they take in the fact that like, oh my God, I've done this thing wrong. And the, all these adults are saying, I'm doing this bad thing. And they're right. They're the ones who are right. I'm not, I'm not right about this. They're just like, oh, I'm just bad. They can't hold it. They don't know how to hold it. They're not capable of holding it. 
And then I think as adults, we usually try to have some conversation with them around like, well, you know, like you're not your actions and I still love you and all those. Things. And those are all great. Those are all great. But it doesn't often give the child a real opportunity to work through like what happened. What happened that led to that point? What's happening now in this dynamic? They just kind of go from being defensive to being filled with shame and self-loathing to like kind of hopefully mellowing out a little bit, but it's like, it's like two really big extremes and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of processing happening inside of that. One side is emotionally intense, the other side is emotionally intense and now we just, there's like some kind of equilibrium where it's like, okay, I'm back in like, okay relationship with this adult person but they still don't really have a great relationship to the thing that happened wrong which isn't to say that that can't happen in conversations but in play a child can experience enough distance from it to be really fluid around situations that have been troubling them to take on different roles and perspectives inside of it to work through whatever is, is meant for them to work through in regards to that situation, which may not be what the adults feel like they should be working through. They gain just a better understanding and clarity of the situation. I think it becomes less overwhelming for them when they've had this play practice of all these different emotions and feelings that can happen inside of play and power and control, and they know what it's like to have that control and wield it and take it out on other people or do whatever they do with it and they also know what it's like to be more cooperative and move into something like that as play deepens it often gets more nuanced and structured and just interesting like they're getting down to the grainy details of it play is very dynamic and it can hold literally anything play can hold any trauma and i say that because conversations about something often continue to move forward and just build on that thing and also follow a certain logic. I'm always me and you're always you and this is the real thing we're talking about. In play, you can have a child get really close to a trauma and just back off of it completely, change roles, change the whole scenario. Suddenly this person dies or there's a flood and if they need to pop out of it, they can pop out of it to anywhere, especially when they're in charge of what's happening in the play and especially when they made the rules and the structure of the play. They can expand that structure or include new elements to feel emotionally safe. They get to edge up to those difficult feelings. They get to edge up to those difficult memories and those difficult relationships and edge up to their pain. And then something natural, something that's guiding them inside of themselves on this journey to being in a different relationship with the things that trouble them can pull them back when they need to pull back, cannot go so deep into the like, oh, this is shitty or I'm just in the shit. Like they just pull themselves out of it and could become something totally different and maybe not even return to that thing till the next session or till two sessions later or three sessions later. And the play can hold all of that. Plato has this quote about play that I really like, and it's that you can discover more about someone in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. That mean, And that's definitely true for children. It might even be true for adults. I, uh, My wife, for instance, and I don't know why I'm using her as an example so often these days, probably because, uh, you know, the pandemic and everything, but... I obviously know her very well through conversations. You could say that I know her better through conversations than I do through play, but I like playing. 
myself i i like playing board games and things like that it's just the adult version of playing i suppose and when we play games together she's very very competitive which you would never know in the rest of her life she could be like very easygoing very relaxed she's an easy person to be around and she's uh I think others find her easy to be around as well and wouldn't describe her as being competitive in any way, but you get her playing a game and you discover a new side of her, or I discovered a new side of her, and I think that that helps me know her better. There's more to her than just just someone who's who's nice, where she's complicated. We're all complicated as people, and some of that can be discovered through play, and some of that was discovered through play and immediately through play, right? It's like, oh, this inside of this play, we bring all of ourselves to it in some way. It touches deeper in different things because it's light and it can hold all of those things. And I think that's definitely true for children's play. I mean, you could talk to a child for a year about themselves or about a certain thing that's going on with them. And I'm not trying to like shit on talk therapy, like talk therapy's great. But in terms of like us learning about that child and their lives and who they are as a person and what their struggles are as a person and what they bring internally to every situation. I, I personally learn more about children. Like if you have an hour of playing one-on-one with a child, you'll know them well at the end of that hour. If you're tuned into them, if you know them well on so many different levels, you'll know them relationally in terms of how they get, you'll know their relationship to power and control. You know their relationship to uh, their sort of assertiveness versus them being timid. You'll know some of their emotional dynamics. If you start doing some imaginative play, you'll know their relationship to success and failure. You'll know the places that they get caught. You'll know the places that they really seem to have a lot of nuance or perspective. You'll know their relationship to their emotional world and telling other people about their emotional world and what their emotional vocabulary is. You'll know an amazing amount of things. And I think it's the lightness of play that allows all of that to be present and allows for all of those things to be held. And I want to name all of that also, I think, to dispel some of the notion. And I can even, I hold this belief inside of myself, and I just don't think it's true all the time that that therapy has to be difficult, that therapy has to be painful that therapy has to touch upon dark areas inside of an individual that therapy has to trudge through the waters of pain and drudgery and angst and boredom and terror of the human experience and has to sink down into those depths until it can like be strong enough to wade through them and then move towards something different after gaining some lesson from that depthy place and yeah that happens to people and probably if you're a therapist some of the clients that you remember the most are ones who did go down to some dark, dark places and emerge with something or reclaimed something or discovered something in themselves that they could embody afterwards. There's something beautiful and sacred about that whole journey. But that's not to say that therapy can't also be like fun and enjoyable and full of laughs and humor and something that's just a bright spot in a child's day that's something light and 
because it is something light, is something that they can comfortably and vulnerably bring themselves to in whatever way they choose to do it. And that is all that I have for this episode of Playtime. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to drop a dollar into my virtual hat, head over to patreon.com slash playtimepodcast. But this episode is offered for free and in the spirit of the gift, like all podcasts, which is a beautiful thing. Head to barnetchildtherapy.com if you'd like to check out the child-centered children's book series, which might be a fun little gift for some little ones in your life. Uh, And there's a book in there for kids on sharing and also on anger. Those would probably be the ones I would recommend for a gift. The other ones are a little more therapeutic. Get in touch with me if you would like, and yeah, I'll catch you all next time.